This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayn, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. Today's discussion will be about the Chuvos of Harav Meshulam Roth. The name of the Chuvos are Komavasar. Rav Meshulam Roth was born in 1875 in Galicia. He learned by the Gedolim of Galicia at that time, including among others Rav Meir Arik, received smicha at the age of 18. In the Encyclopedia Judaica, it says that he received smicha at the age of 12. I think that's an exaggeration, because in the introduction to the Komavaser, Rav Roth's son-in-law also mentioned that he received smicha at the age of 18. He did serve in Rabbanus in Galicia for over 30 years. He was active in politics and was the representative of the Jewish community in the Senate of Romania. He was known as a leader of Mizrahi and a real ardent Zionist. In fact, while he was a Rav in various Kehilot, he was once offered a position in the city of Lvov. And apparently Lvov was a more major Jewish metropolis at the time. The people who offered him the position Lvov made it conditional upon the fact that he would renounce his membership in Mizrahi and somehow become more what we would call a member of the Aguda. He refused to do so and he stayed in his communities that he was, as I said, rough for many years. I think one of the last communities he was in was a town called Chernowitz and there Rav Roth really experienced the beginning or at least a great deal of the churban of European Jewry. 55,000 of his kihila of Chernowitz were murdered in the uh, in those times and Rav Roth himself was saved in a miraculous fashion and came to Israel in 1944 he came with his very small family he had one son who was a budding young Tamid Chacham who had died at a young age. He had one daughter who did marry into the fa- with a, get married with a great Tamid Chacham and they built a family in, in Israel. When he became, when he came to Israel, he was recognized as one of the Gedolim of Europe, specifically in the world of Psak Halacha. In fact, Rav Herzog and other people had written to him before and asked for his opinion on certain questions. As soon as he came to Israel, he was appointed as an advisor to the chief rabbinate of Israel, and he was actually a member of the Moetzed Rabbanut Rashid. He also tested students in 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 uh, Mishpat to get smicha yadin yadin. He wrote many articles, scholarly articles. He wrote a uh, treatise about the Vilna Gaon, and his chuvas, as I said, were printed 
in this sefer called called Mevaser. Now, the name Mevaser hints at the name of Rav Meshulam Rath, because the word Mevaser, the initials would be Meshulam Ben Shimon Rat Mevaser. But I think there's another reason that he called the sefer called Mevaser. In the introduction to the edition, the first edition of Komevasir, Rav Roth wrote V'anit fira, I pray K'asher zachiti achrei ha-shoa nora'a lirot ba'adchalta de-gula Now that phrase is important, the Galiziana Rav Rav Meshulam Roth wrote after the terrible Churban, I've seen the beginning of the redemption Aschalta de-gula I hope that a Kaddish Baruch will give me the privilege to hear the Kol Mevaser, the voice of the announcer, of the one who bears good tidings of Gulatenu Shlema, the full Gula. And it could be that that's one of the reasons he named the Sefer Kol Mevaser. Let's discuss a few of the Chuvos, including among, the, among them some of the most famous chuvas that have been widely quoted in many Sfarim that came after him. In the first uh, Chelek, by the way, I mentioned there are the first edition. There are a number of editions printed by Masad Rav Kook. There are two volumes, once printed in one edition, once printed in a different edition, then a third edition. In the first volume in Simon Yud Gimel, Rav Roth was asked by the Chief Rab, by the Rabbanim of Eretz Israel, what would be his opinion upon announcing a cherem that no Jew would be allowed to step on German soil? Many people apparently had agreed to this suggestion, and Rav Roth says, from a political, logical, ethical, moral view, the suggestion is a hundred percent correct. And there is no doubt that after the terrible acts and of destruction that the Germans did in their evil, in their wicked evil, there was never such a, that was unprecedented in the history of mankind. So he said, really, we should need a declaration that people should refrain from going to Germany. But nevertheless, the Ish Halacha, the men who determines halacha according to object principles, Rav Meshulam Roth said it is not correct mitzad hadin to announce such a cherem. It's against the halacha and he explained two main reasons. One reason was a discussion in general. If our generation can enact new gezeros, new takanos, on the entire community. Now, this question is going to be very important because we'll see later another tshuva that's extremely well-known of Rav Meshulam Rath, which basically poses the same issue in almost the opposite terms. Here, he quotes many sources that says you cannot institute our, our generation or even the generation of early earlier generations, we have no right to impose 
a new gezeros on the entire community. The second argument that he gave with quoting all the sources is said because we know that even the gezeros that seem to have been accepted by people, for example, the gezeros of Abinu Gershom Lara or the gezeros of eating kidneys, we know that some communities accepted it and some communities did not accept it. So how could it be possible in our generation, which has been considered a poorer generation than early generations, how could we possibly think that we can make a Nugzeira? The other argument proposed by Rav Roth was, can you really make a Gzeira when the, when the community, even if we have the right to do it, could we really make a Gzeira that would be extremely difficult, close to impossible, for people to observe. The phrase, of course, Eino gozim gezeira latzibur, elam kin revatzibur yichoyim la'amogba. You are not allowed to make a gezeira unless the people can really do it. For example, the people who were had their possessions in Germany, people who had business in Germany, would have to go there at least to settle some financial arrangements. Now we know, for example, Rav Roth discusses that the Torah said you should not leave, live in Egypt. Now, even though we can discuss exactly what the Easter is, but we know the Rambam lived in Egypt for, at least for a while. There are different heterium for it, but they looked for heterium to say that you could live in Egypt because it, it really was difficult, close to impossible, to observe the law that nobody could live in Egypt. But, of course, that's a biblical law, and therefore you have to understand the exact parameters of the Heterim Val. But you can see that they wanted to find Heterim and Heterim were indeed found. On the other hand, there's some accepted concept that there was a Heterim on Spain. After the expulsion from Spain, Somehow we feel that there is a, a a prohibition to live in Spain. Rav Roth says, "I do not. I have not found any source for this. There is no basis for it." And he quotes sources that indicate the opposite. For example, the Mabit says that Jews have not lived in Aragon for seventy years, and we're sure that Jews will not live there because we'll come to live in Eretz Israel that doesn't seem to imply there's an Easter of living in Egypt, in in Spain. It just means that some people would, don't haven't lived in Spain, and we hope that they won't. Even if it would be true that there would be Xera on the people of Spain, so Rav Roth claims that would be only for the exiles of Spain, who accepted upon themselves. But to say that we can make such Xera on the entire community, the entire people of Israel would be impossible. In fact, there are communities who do live in Spain, and people have lived in Spain all the years. So, even if we would assume somehow that that was wrong, what they did, it does seem that you cannot make the, that exera such as not living in a certain community would be exera that people cannot live with. 
and therefore we should not make such a gzera. So although Rav Roth had himself seen the Churban and certainly identified and felt that such a chaim is proper in terms of theological, moral, ethical reasons, nevertheless the halacha does not allow us to do such a chayrim. Now I said another tshuva, which is extremely famous, was a tshuva that was written by in the Komavasa by Rav Roth about the celebration of Yom Atzmaut. Now today, much, much literature is has been printed about this issue of Yom Atzmaut in general, and specific issues in particular. Professor Rakover has written or compiled a book of Hilchot Yom Atzmaut v'Yom Yerushalayim, where he quotes different sources who deal with the issues of Yom Atzmaut and Yom Yerushalayim. But it seems to me, at least in my experience, Rav Roth's tshuva is one of the earliest tshuvas and one of the most often quoted tshuvas. Now, it's also interesting to note the date of this tshuva is 1952, which means, of course, four years after the establishment of the State of Israel. And the tshuva is addressed to Rav Yehuda Leib Maimon. Now, Rav Maimon was the great Zionist leader who built Mossad Rav Kook, who established the library, his own personal library, which became the library of Mossad Rav Kook, an ardent Zionist who was actually one of the people who signed on the Megillat Ha'atzma'ut and the Declaration of Israeli Independence. A personal friend of Ben-Gurion, he became the Sar Hadatot, the first minister of religion in the state of Israel, very controversial person because of it, on one hand, his extreme Zionistic viewpoints, but he was also known to be a great Tamit Racham, specifically a Baki. He established the printing house of Masad Rav Kook and wrote many, many Sfarim himself. Now, in this tshuva to Rav Maimon, Rav Roth discusses two issues. One, establishing Yom Atzmaut as a Yontif in the first place. And secondly, saying Halo with a Bracha and Shechyanu on Yom Atzmaut. So really there are three issues. He first quotes the famous tshuvas of the Maram Alashkar, afterwards the Chassam Sofer, who discussed the fact that it is appropriate to declare a holiday when a, when a day that a miracle was done for the community. And Rav Roth has no hesitation whatsoever of, his, of first of all, announcing clearly that this day should be celebrated as a, as a Yom Tov, as a holiday, because of the tshuva of the Ramalashkar. Many people have written about this, and should there be other opinions quoted? Is it as simple as Rav Roth thought? For example, uh, Rav Harshal Shechter, printed in the Ar HaMizrach, in volume 132, he mentioned in a footnote, in a, just a brief aside, that uh, there are many people who disagreed. It's a little surprising that Rav Roth and his tshuvas of Komevaser did not quote opposing opinions. The issue about making Hala with, saying Hala with a bracha 
Rav Roth also says that really it should be said, Halal should be said with a bracha. But at the end, he does say, Lemaise, even though he brought his sources that there's no problem at all about Tosif, but nevertheless, at the end, he said, in order to establish halacha for all generations, that halal should be said with a bracha, it would be a, a new idea after almost 2,000 years of galus, even though I think the halacha it is obviously clear what I think is true, the maise, he said, I do not want to paskin unless the greatest of the rabbis get together, I do not want to have an issue of loted godudu, that people should make splinter groups. If they all agree, they should say halal in all places. Uh, we would have to wait, I guess, for the days of Mashiach, for the entire Jewish community to agree. So, Rav Roth, at the end of the tshuva, did not say that we should enact halal with a bracha, although he thought it would be correct. The other issue of saying Shechianu, Rav Roth felt that, yes, and he discussed, you should say Shechianu, and he discussed the issue of Chanukah and Purim when you say Shechianu. It's true we say Shechianu when the fact that there's a Megillah on Purim and there's a Neiros Chanukah on Chanukah, but would you say Shechianu even without those? And he has a whole discussion about it. But at the end, again, he somehow is is not willing to say clearly and unequivocally that a person should say Halel in the same way he said you should not say Halel with a, shech, with a bracha unless all agree. He said, I'm also a little bit hesitant here because of the issue of a Suffolk bracha. And in general, whenever we have a Suffolk bracha, the, the mood of the halacha is to say that we do not say the bracha because it's a bracha levatala. He does quote a Bach, which has been widely quoted afterwards. The Bach thought that whenever there's a machlokas about a bracha, it's true, we should have a principle, Savik brachas laka, you do not make a bracha. But Bircha Shachyanu, the Bach said is different. Because Bircha Shachyanu comes on the occasion of spontaneity that a person is happy that he can make this bracha. And even if it's not objectively clear that he should make the bracha, but if he genuinely feels happy on this occasion, then he cannot transgress the Isra of Baruch Vatala because he wants to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shechianu v'kimo He said, to make a bracha v'tzivanu, that's a little bit more of an issue. But to say Shechianu, the Bach felt a person could make. Now, as I said, the bottom line is that Rav Mishumrat did not say that Klal Yisrael should say Halal with a bracha or say Shechianu. He did provide very important and good reasons why he thought it should be done that way, but nevertheless he was hesitant at the end. What's interesting to note, of course, is that Rav Maimon himself, that great Zionist leader, did say Halal with a bracha in his shul in Mossad Rav Kuk, and he said Shechianu. There were people who went specially to his shul in order, on Yom Atzma'ut, in order to listen to him make the bracha and at least answer Amen. I have it on authority of a good friend of mine, 
who told me that he remembered personally that Rav Zevin, the great Lubavitcher Talmid Chacham, the author of Moadim Ba'alacha, Yishim V'Shitot, or Alacha, many classic works, Rav Zevin used to go from his house, I think it was Rechov Yona in Geula, and he used to go almost across to Kiyat Moshe, to Mossad Rav Kook, in, in order to daven at the minion of Rav Maimon and hear him say Halel with a bracha and say Shechianu. As I said before, Rav Herzog used to consult with Rav Meshulam Roth on many issues. One of the issues that's printed in the Sefer of Komavasir refers to issues that occurred during the Mechemet uh, Ha'atzma'ut in the Israeli War of Independence. When some issues of Chil Shabbos came up. So, one of the questions that was asked was about um, bringing food on Shabbos and unloading the trucks on Shabbos. Now, on one hand, it doesn't seem to be Pikuach Nefesh, because why would you have to uh, unload the trucks on Shabbos? Why can't you do it on Sunday? Would one day of uh, actually being hungry be a reason for Asakana? So, Rav Herzog wrote a kuntris about, about this and other issues, and Rav Roth agrees with Rav Herzog that there's pikuach nefesh, because there's a threat of starvation. Because nobody knows what will happen. How many days you could be without supplies. And he, he quotes the Gemara in Shabbos. If a person was, tra- was going in the desert and he simply forgot when Shabbos was. So the end result of the Gemara is that he cannot do Malacha at all. Only what's necessary for Pikrach Nefesh. And we don't think there's Pikrach Nefesh every day. A person could go a day without food and drink. So why would you be allowed every day to do even the first day, according to the end of the Gemara? So he says, because a person who has no reserves, no, in Hebrew, the paspasalo, and his entire sustenance is rather limited. So we're very worried about danger, even in fasting one day. And he quotes the Me'iri and others who says this point. So he says, therefore, he feels that you could unload the supplies on Shabbos because of a Safek Pikrach Nefesh. Other issues that were raised in the same tshuva were not automatically permitted by Rav Roth. For example, there was a question about carrying clothing or moving the clothing on Shabbos. On one hand, it was cold, and people were really really cold, needed the extra clothing. But Rav Roth discussed, well, you could say that you could send it earlier, you could borrow clothes, you could... All kinds of suggestions were raised, and he thought that uh, he can't say that there's really Pikrach Nefesh in that regard, and therefore, briefly, he said he did not agree with with Rav, uh, Rav Herzog.
One of the tragic tshuvas that you see in this issue, in this sefer of Komavaser, was about a custom that was done in Hartzion. Now, the first of the two letters was written to the director of Misrad Adatot, Dr. Kahana. Dr. Kahana himself was a scholar. And he wrote to Rav Roth, and he mentioned certain customs, certain reminders of the Shoah that they had. If we remember, this was written before we had access to the old city of Yerushalayim, when we could not go to the Kotel, and the place, the closest place to Harabayis that Jews could get to was the Hartzion. In Hartzion they had a shul, and they had in that shul, in Hartzion, a thick piece of rope, which had been used during the Shoah to hang Jews in Poland. They had a custom in the shul that once a year, on Asarab Tevet, the people would gather together, would mention the names of the Kedoshim that they remembered, and then the Chazan would put on this rope as a gartel, and they asked if it would be permitted to do so. And Rav Roth answered that this minig should be cancelled for a number of reasons. One, he quotes sources that if you buy the any instrument that was used for death of a when Bezdin had to kill someone, so that instrument is Asr Bahana and had to be buried together with the person who was executed. Now theoretically a person could argue and say that the reason for that is because of the bad memories of the person who was convicted by a Jewish bezdin. And maybe it would be best to forget the whole incident. However, in our case, it might be more of a mitzvah, similar to Zechiras Amalek, to remember exactly what happened. But, nevertheless, Rav Roth felt that the rope is Asr Bahana and therefore it should be buried. And he explains the halacha itself of anything that's connected with the death of a Jewish person is really Asr Bahana. Another felt, another reason he felt that this rope should not be used because anything that was used to shorten the life of a person should not be brought into a shul at all. We know that you should not bring weapons into a shul. In fact, today in Israel, many tshuvas have been written about people who have or who are uh, on guard duty and re- responsible to carry guns, why they're allowed to carry guns into shul. But when it's not necessary for Pikrach Nefesh, he felt it would be improper to bring it at all into shul. Therefore, he felt the community should cancel their custom and bury the rope. One last question that will 
discuss today is an interesting point that was raised when President Weitzman was to be buried. The first president of Israel, Chaim Weitzman, was, of course, connected with the city of Rehovot. The institute, the Weitzman Institute in Rehovot, is well known. But on the other hand, the presidents of Israel are buried in our, in in Yerushalayim. The dignity of the state of Israel and the president of Israel is to bury the president of Israel in a cemetery where the leaders of the community have been buried. So, Rav Roth was consulted by Rav Herzog again and asked where he should, where should President Weitzman be buried? Now, this is an interesting tshuva to read because of a number of reasons. One is, it's a question from Misrata Datot, the, the Ministry of Religion in Israel, with a, written with a kunchus with Rav, with Rav Herzog, and of course, Rav Roth refers to him as my dear friend, the great Gong, the Mofes Hador, Rav Herzog, and who asked for the opinion. Should he, President Weitzman? Now, this contrast of Rav Herzog and the letter of Rav, Rav Roth must have been written in an extremely short time. They would not delay the Kvura to wait for the Tshuva. So, you can see a Tshuva with great Bekiyas, with great erudition, in response to the contrast of Rav Herzog, which also must have been written very, very quickly. And the main points were raised, are you allowed to bury a person in to transport the body from one place to another. There are a number of reasons why it seems to be disgraceful to the person, to the who to the body to bring to transport it from one place to another. Of course we know that to come to Arch Israel, to bring a body to Arch Israel is not considered a bizarre. And there are a number of reasons for it. Rav Herzog wrote that a there is a phrase kolakavur birushalayim kikavur kiilu kavur ta'chasem esbeach. Someone buried in Yerushalayim is if he's buried under the mezbeach itself, and therefore it's a great kavod to bring somebody to Yerushalayim. Rav Roth first pointed out in the beginning of the letter that the memory of Rav Herzog must be playing tricks on him because the Gemara did not say that. The Gemara said If you're buried in Israel but not necessarily in Yerushalayim. To be buried in Israel there would be no major difference between Yerushalayim and Rechavot. However, then Rav Roth points out that he did find in the Avost Rav Nassan where it says Someone who's buried under the Mizbeach is that he's buried under the the Kisei HaKavod. So the Gra amended the text and said, So this phrase 
that Rav Herzog used is found in the Bir Agra or in, in Avas Rav Nasan. Of course, Rav Roth then goes on to discuss is this a, is this a correct text and he <coughs> raises the issue is it really uh, considered the dignity of a person to be buried in Yerushalayim as opposed to Eretz Yisrael in general. At the end, the question became moot because they found that President Weitzman had left a tzava. The tshuva was written in case they did not find the will, what should be the decision? At the end, they found the tshuva of, uh, they found the, the tzava of President Weitzman who said who asked to be buried in Rechavot, and this is what they did. We see in the Komavaser, in general, questions about, that occurred in the beginning of the State of Israel, questions that referred to customs of the State of Israel. We see how the Rabbanut Rashid consulted him on these major, issue, major issues, and these tshuvas are very well used and quoted until today.